Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of the Live Life Progressive Podcast. This is Sincere Hogan, and have my buddy Mike Mahler on the other line. What's going on, my man? Oh, I'm doing great, man. You know, it's funny. This The show never gets old because we always keep getting really interesting guests. And it was funny. When we, when we started almost a year ago, I was thinking, uh, you know, I wonder if we'll have enough. I wonder if this show is going to get old after a while. Maybe we're going to have a hard time getting guests. But because because we have allowed ourselves to go into whatever interest we want to so we can get any any guest that we find interesting is someone we can get. That may, that ensures that it never gets boring. Right. But we also have a strong undertone of strength and conditioning to our show. We always want to get the best strength coaches on ever that are out there because we know a lot of our fans are fitness people. So we've had Mark Philippi, we've had Charles Poliquin, we've had Dan John, and we've had so many high-level coaches, Sabina Scala, just incredible people. And today we have a guy that I've been a big fan of for a long time. I read his articles when he was writing for T Nation back in the late 1990s when T Nation first started. Right. I I got his book, Get Buffed, a while back. Incredible. And then I haven't really seen too much from him for a while, so I was curious what he was up to. And then a few weeks later, Peter Rouse, a good friend of ours, Dr. Peter Rouse, has been on the show many times. He said, hey, would you guys like to have Ian King on your show? I was like, yeah. I think I responded I responded like in two seconds. Like, exactly. yeah, right. Put him on the show. <laughs> so, yeah, man. And, that, and that's our guest for today, folks. We have Ian King, author of Get Buffed, Book of Muscle. Check out his website at kingsports.net. He has a ton of articles that are archived at tnation.com as well. Excellent stuff. Ian, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome. You're welcome, man. I'm Mike. And Sasagan, a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Are you are you based in Australia still, or are you touring right now? What's 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 your what's going on? What's the latest with you right now? Well, I'm, at the moment, I'm up there in Boston, Massachusetts, or just outside there. Um, two days ago, I was in Toronto, and a few days before that, I was in California. A few days before that, I was in uh, Park City. So we're on a bit of a tour of North America at this point. Okay. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Now, do you have a, a training facility in the U.S., or you just come to the U.S. and go to other parts of the world teaching courses, seminars, et cetera? No, we partner with a number of our coaches around the world in training facilities. So I'm sitting right here in a training facility in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. Now, what's what's been going on with you lately? What's what's the latest with strength and conditioning research, program design? Is there a new focus you have right now, or are you just continuing the work that you've been doing for a long time? A lot of new focuses, and, and a lot of new focuses that people don't know about, because unlike the period of about 99 through to about 2006, where I was writing extensively for publications such as Team Magazine, called it Team Nation now, right. unlike then, I, I haven't been uh, publishing my work, shall we say, as much uh, in the years since. So there's a lot of new developments. Uh, people just don't know about them. Yeah, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, because <laughs> I'd be curious myself. <laughs> we've, we've we've evolved a lot of things. When I say evolved a lot of things, I don't throw stuff out and run with a new trend. Everything I do is is a building and an evolution in a direction. So it's not that the old stuff got tired. It's just that we've tweaked a, a lot of new stuff, and I, I find actually that the direction I'm taking it just continues to separate on mainstream thinking because it, essentially I find the majority of what people do is so determined by trends and the dominant paradigms that, right. that people people just don't think. What I do is I will typically test a hypothesis in what I call my laboratory, which is in the real world with athletes, for for an average of 10 years and sometimes longer before I'll even publish it. Now, 
that if I publish it, and I don't publish it for the sake of publish it, there's usually a reason why I put it out there, and I don't I don't search for those techniques and concepts and theories for the sake of finding something to write about. I I, I search for them to be the best as we can be for for myself or for the athletes I work with. So I have not published as much of that in the last decade, shall we say? Now is when, that because is that because you haven't found too much to add to your existing existing curriculum, or is it because you're still working some stuff out? Uh, definitely not a case of not not finding new stuff. I, I basically uh, I find that I develop a, a, a new tweak or a new twist or a new concept on, almost on a weekly basis. But th there are a number of reasons why I'm not publishing them as much and. I will share some of them, and if we dig deeper, I might even share some others. One of the things I find is that the the, um, the westernised world's interest is so so strength oriented that I find that boring. Because I deal with athletes, and the role of strength training in, in athletes, in, from my perspective in the Western world, is overrated. And they've only ever really shown interest in my strength developments. So. There's a point in time where I say, listen, we're providing unbalanced information to the world. It's out of context. So one of the reasons I pull back a little bit is that I don't feel that we're doing the right thing by the market. Still going, gentlemen? Getting massive feedback on there. And there was just a lot of echoing and, and um, basically feedback on my audio there. Yeah. Okay. It, it, yeah. It finally went away. So now you sound fine. Excellent. Uh, so I, don't think, I don't think Skype is being our friend right now. But uh, yeah, it was only for like a like a few seconds that feedback while you were speaking. So don't worry about that. I can take that out. Now, Ian, what do you think about the current state of strength and conditioning in the States, the proliferation of trends such as CrossFit, things of that nature. What's your whole take on that? <clears throat> Putting aside CrossFit, which in itself is definitely worthy of a conversation, I am genuinely concerned. Right. And this is what I tell you. I, had this, I did a lecture this morning at university here in, in Tufts, and I said to this, I said, that Apple computer, that computer in front of you, has it changed much in the last five years? It's, it, obviously, the, the technology is accelerating at an incredible pace. And I say, what do you think about your training? What do you think about physical preparation, strength and conditioning? What do, you want? do you think it's advanced in the last five years? Now, I'm talking, to, I'm talking to young students, and they really don't have that much experience. But from my perspective, not only have we failed to advance, I question whether we've actually gone backwards. Right. It's, no, it's not a real wrap on an industry. We're in a world where technological change is just so massive and it's just so impressive. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that we have gone backwards. And I think we've gone backwards because of the way the industry is influenced and the way the industry thinks. So I, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually, I pull back from the industry as a general because I'm embarrassed. I, I'm almost disgusted by what's going on. And I, I don't want to give it oxygen. It's not for me to change people's opinions. And it's not for me to save the world. But it is for me to choose what I endorse and what I associate with. And there's very little out there that gives me reason to get excited or gives me reason to go in there and say, listen, no, let, let's work together on this. And there's a there's an approach in, in, in America, for example, which is a, a good old buddy's approach where I, 
I might not even like what you do because I need to get symbiotically marketing with you and I'll be pretend buddies for all. Why not play that? If you're developing crap, if you're producing crap, and if you're, if you're incompetent, don't expect me to hold your hand. So right. without even uh, isolating CrossFit, which is, you know, that's a story in itself, which I'm all happy to open up. And I, I'm really adamant about this. The physical preparation industry is not only going nowhere, it, it is regressing. Well, what do you, what do you, what's an example of just how we're regressing so much? What's, what's one of the top-line topics that's really bothering you with what we're seeing out there? Let's take injuries, for example. Let's okay. take injuries arising from strength training, injuries arising from any physical preparation. Do you think there's a reduction in injury? And keep in mind, when I ask this question, we've allegedly been through the inverted commas functional training movement. You know, we've had, we've had some of our colleagues teach us about the value of the Swiss ball and all the injury prevention, all this crap about it. I mean, right. real, realistically, have we gone anywhere? Definitely not a redu- definitely not a reduction in injuries. If anything, there's there's chiropractors I mean, and other kinds of practitioners who build their whole businesses around the increase in injuries. Exactly. I mean, to the point we have chiropractors now make, setting up their shops inside these gyms, like CrossFit gyms. It's almost like they're you're kind of just waiting for it. You you have that business sitting right there waiting for them. Exactly. Now, injuries is an industry, and it's an industry where no one has a genuine intent for it to go away. So that's, that's one example. Now let's, look, let's look at performance. Now, it's hard to measure performance, but I, I can, from where I am and from my feel for the market in terms of the athletes and, and sport, I am seeing more damage done to athleticism than I'm seeing enhancement. We are dumbing down our athletes physically so badly, and one of the reasons for that is because the, the same flawed strategies that we use on adults a decade ago are now being used on kids. I say to people, there's two things I can get to you. I had a young man ask me this morning, he said, listen, my brother's in a, in a football program, American football program, can you tell me X and Y? I said, listen, there's two things I can tell you. I can tell you his program is in balance and he's going to get injured from it. I can tell you that his athleticism is going to be reduced. I said, they're two, they're two givens I can give you. Apart from that, I need to talk to him and give him more individualized information than that. But it's pretty tragic when I can say blanketly those two things, that you are going to shorten your career and you're going to undermine your athletic potential because of the way you train. Mm. Now, maybe I just know a few more things than other people. Maybe my insights are growing. But that is the status of the market. The, the regression in competency in the industry and the outcomes are a saddening if you want to attach an emotional value to it. Right. Now, is it just that there's too much randomness in program design, if you can even call it program design, so that leads to too many imbalances, there's safety is not, being, it's not paramount, so the, the order of exercises, and I'm not just talking about CrossFit, I'm just talking about different systems that are out there in general. It seems that, like you said, not enough, not enough critical thinking is going into a program design where it's very random. And then that's creating imbalances, and it's in many cases counterproductive for the client or athlete in question. You know, the random is a really good word. And <laughs> before, I address, before I address that, let, let's address this one. <laughs> let's use the word individualization. Now, the word individualization as a program variable has been published in, in academic textbooks since you know the 1980s. There's, there's nothing new about the word individualization. But I'm going to ask you this question. Do you know anybody that truly has the ability 
to individualize the program for the person. Again, I had this question oh. asked me, it's funny. I, the, the athlete said, Ian, why is it that in my football program, the linebacker and everybody else says, everyone's got the same program? And I said, this is why, because globally, universally, from the elite level down, the only thing that really changes on a program is the name on the top of the page. Right, right. I said, when an athlete comes back to me and they got, they got uh, the name crossed out and their name written on top, it was someone just accidentally forgot to white out or, or change the name on the computer program. So <laughs> how can we explain an industry that if you date it from strength and conditioning from the NSA uh, inception or the National Strength Coaches Association, it was originally called in 1978, 1979, you know, we're 30 plus years into it. How do we justify the fact that the ability to individualize program design is not advanced? It, it, it is unexplainable. So now let's talk about random. I, I can, I've come to America now for 23 years in a row. I usually come in two or three times a year, so I'm up around 50 visits to North America. Mm-hmm. And one of the common, common themes that I realized was that your fraternity will go to the annual convention, whatever that is. They'll get influenced by the new, the new ideas and the new toys, and they'll come home and, wow, this is phenomenal. Then they'll go back the next year, and they'll get influenced by the new ideas and new toys, and the new training methods, and they'll go back into flip-flop. So the cycle of training in, 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 in the Western influence or the American influence is 12 months. Now, in my opinion, it takes seven years for you to cause to, to establish an appropriate cause-effect relationship in training. Not only does the average coach turn over their clients or get turned over in, in a three-year period or less, but they flip-flop their training methods every 12 months. The objectivity with which is, in theory, is applied to science is not applied in practice. In theory, we should be manipulating one variable at a time and establishing the cause-effect relationships from there. I think the big problem with all of that is that people people get bored easily, right? And then the trainer is catering to that instead of having yeah. the wherewithal to push it to its final conclusion. So what happens is a client goes, well, I'm tired of doing this, I'm tired of doing that. And then instead of showing the client the reason why they need to stay the course, how to establish those foundation lifts, foundation programs, et cetera. There's, there's <clears throat> too much variety for the sake of variety. And I think a lot of trainers exactly. also do it. A lot of trainers also do it where they're, they, they're, they're getting bored themselves. I've heard traders say, well, I'm going to change up your program because I'm getting tired of seeing you do the same lifts, right? I've actually heard that before. So I think, I think now what's happening is we're, we're trying to make training entertaining and ostentatious to draw a lot of attention and then the real reason behind why someone should be on a training regimen is being lost right to enhance whatever else they're trying to do so i mean even when you think that other than randomness it's more the problem is more about a lack of patience and also a fear of losing business so you have like mike just some of what mike just said you have the trainers and the, the the clients they're not having the patience to actually see the results and actually like really put in all the work to make sure this is truly, truly working toward a bigger goal other than some what's going to happen this week, next week, or in the next month or next six weeks or a 12-week challenge or something like that with all these challenges that people constantly throw out there. And instead of seeing the long haul, and on the flip side, you see these coaches and these trainers, they feel like they have to cater to them because they're afraid they're going to lose this client to another trainer. So they pretty much keep changing things up out of fear. That is totally accurate. Because the decisions in our industry are made as influenced by marketing. Now, the average company marketing a product recognizes the shelf life of their market. Let's say it used to be two years. 
And then let's say I used to put out my new, my newsletter weekly. And then let's say I used to put it out once every two days. And then I put it out once every three days. So basically the stimulus time frame is reducing even further. And that, that's an influence of an acceleration in the internet. But the bottom line is the decisions made in our industry and how we train, not, not myself, but how the collective train, are determined by commercial interests. One of the reasons why stretching is not, not popularised is because they haven't worked out how to make money from stretching. The reason why functional training, inverted commas, was popularised is because one influential leading company chose to import a range of products that suited it, and so they drove the concept. Right. We are, we, and I'm not anti-capitalism, but I'm not going to let my training and the training of my athletes and my coaches be dictated to by commercial marketing forces. And that's what the masses do. And, and as you said, it's, it's fear of losing money. If I own a gym, I'm going to stack it with the latest toys because right. I'm incompetent. If I'm competent at what I do, I don't need to go down the path. So scarcity, the scarcity mentality on the part yeah. of trainers and gym owners mm-hmm. and incompetence results in marketing the industry through the toys and the latest trends. And I, I don't have a problem with that. If you want to be a trend follower, go and knock yourself out. But I'm talking about 99% of the, of the industry is in that area. There, there is no way in the world that we can progress in the interests of the body if our thoughts are dictated by marketing. Now, the body yeah, that, hasn't true. changed in the last 100 years. The body really hasn't changed that much. But we've got a new toy every six months. Right. (laughs) Well, people always feel like they need something new to sell. And then that scarcity mindset that you just brought up, that's something we talk about quite a bit on the show, how many people's motivations are fear-based and through a point of scarcity, where I I think it's a mistake. I think if you're establishing strong value and you can can stay in your own lane and you're going to attract the right people. So I think it's the, the fear that a lot of people have in our industry is that if they're not jumping on each trend, that's in the limelight right now that they're somehow just going to be left behind and that, but if you're creating strong, if you're creating strong value and you're producing incredible results, you're always going to stick out no matter what industry you're in. And that's why Mike, I will support back endorse and associate with anybody who has the values that take the industry forward, but I will not with people who are, are doing the exact opposite. Yeah. I think, I think another big problem is these, 30-day, 60-day, 90-day goals, right? A lot, of people exactly. think, a lot of people think in terms of 30 days because people always come to me with stuff with, let's say, hormone issues, you know, because hormone optimization, I'm not, a, I'm not someone who diagnoses problems and treats them, but I'm well-researched in a lot of stuff. So people will often come to me and say, hey, how long is it going to take for me to turn this stuff around, you know, 30 days or so? And I go, come, I go, first of all, you're looking at it completely the wrong way. You don't want to put a number on how long it's going to take. It may take five years, but who cares if it takes five years? Five years is nothing. Exactly. And if that's what it takes to, feel, to get back to feeling fantastic so that you can enjoy the rest of your life like that, then what's the big deal? And I, I think sometimes people think that they go, like, you know, if it's going to take three years to achieve a really meaningful goal, what's three years? Three years is nothing. But to the average person, you might as well tell them, you know, 30 years, because they hear three, they're like, oh, forget it. You know, if it's not going to happen in 30 days or 90 days at the longest, then I'm not interested because people are so programmed to think in terms of whatever they want to achieve, it can happen in those parameters, 30, 60, or 90 days. Well, yeah, like I just, yeah, like I just mentioned, every time they look up, there's some type of challenge where there's a, you know, 30-day challenge, right. a 60-day challenge, a 12-week challenge. So they think that their, their, their road to improvement 
is very short compared to their their road of just dismantling their body, which took them years to do. So I always, you know, when they come to me like, how, sincere, you think, um, how long do you think it'll take me to lose this belly? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like, how are we trying to look at this? Are you trying to just get it cut out? What are we trying to do? What are you trying to lose your belly? Well, how can, how can I get rid of all this fat? Well, I'm like, how long did it take you to get there? Well, what do you mean? I'm like, no, how many years did you work on that? I mean, you were very disciplined in getting in that right. condition. You worked really hard to get out of shape. So right. you have to work equally hard to get, to get back in shape. I mean, for every action, there's an opposite, you know, an equal reaction there. So you got to think of it in that term. And then that's when you kind of get that Scooby-Doo look like, uh, you know, don't get it. So, yeah, man, it's like I said, they're constantly being berated with these challenges all the freaking time. It just drives me crazy. And I think that's where the problem lies right there. They actually think it can happen that way. That information, that infomercial type lifestyle. Yeah, that's why I think it's important to put out real information. When I've worked with so people, I'll often, yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm, just getting exactly. away from the whole instant that. Yeah, just getting away from the whole instant gratification. Because when I've worked with people, they often come to me and say, "Hey, you know, can we achieve this in 30 days?" I go, "No, it's not going to happen in 30 days." So I mean, if that's your expectation, then let's stop right now. This is this is you're, you're looking at a one year goal right now. You know, that's how long it's going to take if you do things right. Maybe longer, maybe a little bit less long. But it's, it's definitely going to take a lot longer than 30 days. But that, but that's a hard thing to battle. I mean, I'm sure you come across that quite a bit, Ian. What, what do you do when someone comes to you, and an athlete or so forth, and they say, hey, I need to achieve these things in a couple of weeks or a month, and they just read an article about how you can take your bench press from 175 to 350 in six weeks, and that, that's, that's the mindset that they're coming to you with? Generally speaking, I don't work with, with uh, the general population. So the people who talk to me... People who find me are typically elite or Olympic level athletes, and their cycle is okay. a four-year cycle. So I'm probably um, I'm probably saved a lot of that stuff, but I know what you're talking about. Right, right. right. So that's one way to avoid it. <laughs> that is to work with exactly. really high level. <laughs> but well, basically, what you're saying is, why are you working with people like that? Just work with high-level people, and you don't have to worry well, about that. Well, you know, <laughs> even even let's say I'm working with general population. And this is where we talk about scarcity mentality. Before. I tell people, listen, if you and your client aren't on the same page and you've given them enough time to get on the same page, you don't have to work together. Let's run a happy, happiness-centered business. If you're not happy in the morning to get out of bed and go and work with them, don't. Right. And if they're not adding value to your life as much as you're adding value to their life, don't work with them. No doubt. No. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, I, I think it's also important to not have that scarcity mindset where you have to deal with such people because I set up my business in 2002 to attract people that are more serious-minded with a longer-term commitment, yes. and that's what I get. So I don't yes. deal with that because trainers always ask me, how do you deal with those kind of people? I go, I don't get those kind of people. Right. <laughs> those, people those people come visit my website. They realize real fast that this is a no-nonsense approach, and I'm not going to be a hand-holder or, or, or deliver a bunch of crap just to get someone's money, that they, they move on to the next target. You know, someone that's just going to call I love those words, Mike. Results. They are <laughs> fantastic words. Definitely. You know, it becomes this problem with these. A lot of trainers want to be all things to everyone. And, again, they're afraid that if I, they just choose one population, well, then how am I going to make money? What if there are not enough people in that one population for me to train? Well, my thing is if you're really kicking ass and you're really dialing in, you're coaching – Trust me, whoever you're coaching at that time, they're going to tell someone else and someone else. And it's going to come. So you just, like, you just got to believe in yourself enough. To, and and don't, don't worry so much about how many people are going to sign up with you or come and hire you or whatever. You've got that one person. Put everything you have into that one person you're working with. And it goes back to what Ian was saying about individualization. So if you're doing that, 
you're not concerned with the next person and the next one that, that haven't even showed up yet. So guess what? That's a lot. <laughs> you know, all these people you expect to come knocking at your door, they don't exist. Not yet. So don't, don't even focus on that. So then that wouldn't even be a problem anymore. Well, I think the key is to be irreverent. And Ian, that's one thing that's very clear in your voice is that mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to speak your mind and not hold back. And as a result, you're, you're definitely not going to attract the kind of people that we're talking about. And then again, you work with high-level athletes and so forth. But I think you've set the tone with who you are that even when people come to you and they may have had those preconceptions of what, what they're used to from other trainers, they're not going to bring that to you. So that, that's another point we like to bring up is that you need, you need to clearly define who you are in this business and what kind of people you want and stick to that and not have this scarcity mindset of, well, I, this person's going to be a pain in the ass, but I'm going to take him anyway just because you know, I need to make sure I hit this quota you know, this week. <laughs> I, I'm like, if you're a trainer and you haven't turned people away, then you're doing something wrong. Right. And I, and I, I feel like you should be turning people away and you should be firing people yeah. when they're not yeah. a fit. And if you right. haven't done those things, then, then you're not really being true to yourself. Yeah. You're, you're, you have that scarcity mindset of, well, I don't want to lose the money. You know, and yeah, I hear that, gonna I hear lose the money. that all the time. <laughs> you're going to lose the money because that's bad for business because if you have these people who are like not complying with what you're programming and they look like crap, but they're telling all their friends they're training with Mike Mahler. People are like, oh, damn, really? Look at, look at her. She's not even changing. She looks, actually, she looks worse. Uh, I, I definitely won't be emailing that guy for any programming advice or anything. Or no, it's like Mike, with him. <laughs> Mike Coach, Mark Phillippe, he had a guy come in, and he was bench pressing, and his, his butt was two feet off the bench on each rep. And after his set, Mark's like, uh, if anyone asks you, don't say you train here. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Because he's like, I don't want the you being a representative. He dialed in his technique and so forth. He's like, don't tell anyone you work out over here. <laughs> it was right when he finished the last rep. This guy got awful proud of what he just did. <laughs> you know, that, that totally knocked him down. But I'll tell you what, his form got a lot better at the next session. And by the time he left, because he was there about the same time I was, four months, you know, he was looking pretty good. His technique was great. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's the other thing is a lot of times coaches are afraid. This is the most ironic one, too, is coaches are afraid to give advice on how to improve technique because they think that's going to hurt the client's feelings, and then they may leave, you know? So it's, it's like the very thing they're coming to you for, at least <laughs> what they should be coming to you for, is learning optimal technique, optimal program design, all of those things, so they get great results. Now it's like, well, I don't want to hurt the client's feelings because you know he may not want to come back for the next session if I'm if I'm too critical. Oh, you don't hurt his feelings, but you don't let him hurt his back by having bad technique. Okay, that, that's right. probably nice one of the reasons why so many new injuries. You know? <laughs> nice it's it's like a mentality like that. Exactly. So what, what I tell people is, if you said nothing, if you if you do no marketing, what is the impact of your coaching? And this is what I do. I say little so I can measure the impact of what I do to a greater extent. Because a service provider should never have to market. If they're competent and focus on improving on excellence, their referrals will occur. There is only so many hours in the day. Right. What we've got is a market that is so intense. There's this model of, look at these people, they're high profile because they're marketing. The most competent marketers in physical preparation in the Western world are the least competent practitioners. Absolutely. Some of the most practice, most competent practitioners, you don't even know their names. So they're drawn to this model of marketing. I say, listen, don't worry about marketing. Forget marketing. What do you want to be? Do you want to be perceived to be great or do you want to be great in what you do? And if you want to be great in what you do, the only way to do it is shut the you-know-what up and do, do your bit and then listen to the feedback. 
listen right. to what the market's right. telling you. And if you're not getting growth in your in your, your client base, get better. That's such a good right. point. You know, because I one thing I also do is design nutrition supplements and in the supplement industry, the model generally for most companies is spend very little time on formulation and then spend maximum time on over-the-top marketing, right? So it's yeah. 10% of money goes to R&D, 90% goes to marketing over-the-top, really over-the-top stuff to like just tell people whatever they need to hear to get it. And then when I designed my stuff, I kind of did the opposite. I said, I'm not going to spend any money on marketing, and I'm just going to spend money on um, time and money and R&D creating a great product because if you create a great product, people are going to get great results, and they're going to tell everyone. And that's what's happened. You know, the products exactly. are selling really well without me having to you – know, I've done a little bit of marketing here, like a Facebook ad or you know, superhuman radio sponsorship, you know, little things like that, but – that's not what that's not what's contributing to the vast majority of the sales. It's the word of mouth, like what you're talking about. People try something. It's like when creatine first came out. I mean, I took creatine and I was like, Whoa, this is some crazy stuff and then everybody was talking about it. And that's what really got it selling. I mean, people were advertising it, but it was all the people that were talking about the results they were getting that got other people to try it. So you're really correct. I think the peop I think the problem people have, Ian, with what you just said. And it's, and it's a problem for them. It's not a problem. It's, what you said is not problematic, but it's a personal problem for them is that they, they don't have the patience to weather the storm and put in, pay your dues to get good because that's going to take a while. Exactly. They want to make six figures right now. So I've exactly. had people come to me and go, how? I was like, I just got in the business and I want to make six figures before the year's up. I go, that, that's the wrong attitude. Like my friend Ken Blackburn, a mutual friend of mine and Sincerus, who's awesome kettlebell coach, you know, like best in the U.S., he, he, he came in and I was having dinner with him, and I go, Ken, I knew you were going to make it because you had the right attitude when you came in. He's like, what do you mean? I go, you, you, I remember you specifically saying, the only thing I'm going to do for the next few years is pay my dues. You know, get out there, instruct, get really good at coaching, learn all these things. I'm not thinking about being the next superstar. I'm not worried about how much I'm going to make. I'm just going to enjoy the ride, and I'm going to pay my dues. And that's, that's a concept that's very much lost, is that people want to come in, and they want to be a celebrity. Like, that's the goal now. So you're a fitness instructor. You're a fitness expert. It's like, well, you know, the goal is to get on a reality TV show. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. so that when I walk down the street, people want to take my photo. It's like, you're not, you're not an actor. You're not a Hollywood star. You know, you're, you're, yeah, most of those guys are actors. They're not really coaches. They're just acting like coaches. Yeah, on yeah, reality exactly. Shows. <laughs> the big problem right there is that you're not really a coach. You're acting like one. So I'm oh, yeah. On, oh, on, yeah. On, a, on a superficial level, someone who doesn't know better is like, wow. Oh, yeah. you, know, you know, often I've been at cocktail parties where I talk about endocrinology and nutrition and stuff like that, and, and people are like, man, you really know your stuff. I'm like, yeah, I do, but how do you know that? <laughs> you know, because right. you're, you're not big words you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I just sound like I, I I could just be making up a bunch of bullshit. I could have come here and said, let's see what kind, let's see if I can get anyone to believe this crap, you know, and just exactly. had a little mm -hmm. fun. Because when you sound like you know what you're talking about, people are like, wow, you really know what exactly. you're talking about. But they're not educated enough to know whether someone knows what they're talking about, and that's the big problem right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was just me shutting up in case you wanted to jump in. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Ian, what, let's, get, let's get into some nuts and bolts here because our listeners always love to hear about productive strength training and so forth. Let, let's just get into, let's say, let's say someone wants to improve the power lifts, bench press, squat, deadlift. And they come to you and say, Ian, this is my goal right now. I've been powerlifting for a while. 
and I want what what can you show me that's going to help me improve my numbers on these main lifts? How, how would you start with someone like that with that particular goal? Fantastic. So the first thing I do is I look at their competitive history and review their training history. There's going to be patterns in there. They're going to tell me a lot about what we need to do because what I'm looking for is opportunity. It's not a negative. I'm just looking for the opportunity. The opportunity lies in the adversity. Something they haven't mastered or something they don't do that well or a pattern of challenge they have. Right. It might be psychological. It might be technical. It might be tactical. It might be physical. I don't know. I'm looking for opportunities. Because if I find your weakest link and we fix your weakest link, then we're on the upward. The next thing I'll do is I'll sit down with you and I'll say, okay, where are we going with this? And I'll see how far their vision is and I'll see how clear their vision is. If they need help getting clarity, we'll do that. Typically, I like to aim for a few years in advance. I like to have a plan that goes a few years out. That takes the pressure off us. Because if we're gunning for a major event in the next few months, which can happen, then we're going to do what was probably going to be holding you back all along is you're going to train too specifically. Right. Because one of the one of the Achilles heels of modern day powerlifting training is the desire to lift specific now. It was always been there, but it's enhanced by the toys, enhanced by the, the, the promotions. The promotion in powerlifting is different than it was 30, 30 years ago. So if you get a new trend or a toy coming out in powerlifting, it really sweeps through. So the greatest difference I will probably make to you in terms of moving forwards is breaking up your training periods into periods where you actually develop the strength of your muscle in a more isolated way. So that when we progress to the more compound and then we progress to the more throw the toys and tricks in, you know, the lower the bar down, put the suit on, etc., etc., then we really accelerate. I want to accelerate at every point. And there are so many variables that you can manipulate in training. If you get 1% improvement in all these variables, when they come together, they make massive change. So my expectation in all training is to be to improve significantly and to improve continuously. And that's tough if people run before they crawl. So typically, if, if we don't take a, a bit of a longer-term view, and it's tough to get those changes. Now, in addition to that, and, and it's specifically about your physical status, the role of the different physical qualities, speed, strength, endurance, flexibility, and obviously they don't want to apply to powerlifting, but the role and the interaction of each of those is totally misunderstood or overlooked completely. And I do a few things differently than what other people do. And I, you know, it was never debated with me in the 80s, but when people, a little bit of knowledge became dangerous in the 90s, then you know, people took off on a certain path. But if you don't follow what I'm talking about here, you know, which I've yet to expand upon, let's say, for example, some aspects of flexibility with, it, with the powerlifter. If you don't follow my path here, you're actually, ultimately, within five to ten years, going to be limiting your performance, and then following that, you're going to actually retire. And when you retire, you will have a joint replacement. So I'm talking about stuff that's going to change your performance, it's going to change your length of your career, and then it's going to change your quality of life afterwards. It's not being done, and I don't, I don't um, boast or crow about that, and when, when, when the proverbial hits the fan in the way I'm talking about that, people normally slip quietly into the horizon and no one really knows what happens. So uh, there's, right. there's very little understanding of the cause-effect relationship that if you lift this way 20 years later, this is what's going to happen here. Mm. So I, I change your body in ways that probably a little bit different than you might expect. And, of course, that, that requires buy-in. You know, Mike, it, it requires buy-in, and that, that's a combination of trust with me as well as uh, my my willingness to give you a bit of, a bit of rope for a bit of a time. So, right, th there's a massive upside, but the upside is only available to the athlete whose cup is not full. Yes, I mean you have a very long run approach 
and a yes. very honest approach as well because I like what you said about you're not just you're not just going okay we're going to get you to this goal and even though I know that if, if we do it this way it's you're going to have injuries and so forth down the road and the quality of your life's going to be affected I'll just keep that to myself you're thinking we can, we can get you here in a manner where it's not going to have a negative effect on the quality of your life and then years from now you're not going to be all beat up and have injuries and so forth as a result of taking this conscious path exactly and there's a perception in sport that because you play that sport that you will have to have this and that, that right. perception that perception exists in powerlifting there's a perception right. that because of the loads involved in everything this will be happen and i don't agree with that i don't buy into that it doesn't have to be like that it is like that because of the way the majority train but it doesn't have right to be that. Yeah, because that's what everyone feels. Everyone feels like, well, if you're going to be a professional athlete, then this is what you're going to have to deal with. You know, if you're going to mm -hmm. push it hard in this, or if you're going to compete in strongman, or you're going to be a powerlifter, then this is what's inevitably going to happen. You know, you're going to blow out your pecs, you're going to have rotator cuff problems, your knees are going to be shot. But people often wear that as a badge of honor, almost. So I mean, that, that's, exactly. that's yeah, that's very. It's, it's, it's very few people that I even hear what you're talking about, whereas like, look, we can avoid all of those things. I can help you achieve your goals, and we can avoid all those things if we do it right and systematically. Exactly, and more than that, I've developed the ability to look at anybody and say, if you continue doing this, this is probably going to happen to throw his injury. So, you know, the, the, the tears and the muscles, there's no surprises about them. I can call them in advance. And, and, and yet we you know, collectively put our head in the sand and wonder why. I mean, the number of torn biceps I see on strength athletes is absolutely ridiculous. It's a really simple concept. If you shorten your biceps, either by doing limited range biceps, which is pretty popular, right, or, or biceps before you deadlift, or prioritizing your biceps in general, you're going to tear them in the deadlift, you're going to tear them in your strongman event, you're going to tear them on the football field, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not rocket scientists. And even when I talk in the coach, they listen. Did you notice that he's um he's torn that muscle? We reckon. Oh, that was just impact. That's bullshit. That wasn't impact. That injury was created in the gym, and that's where I come back to talking about the injuries. Now we got more injuries in sport now because of the because of the way people train the gym than actually we used to have. I reckon. So I, I know the risks of tearing, mate. I I I kind of live in that. Oh, geez, I am. I'm in that as well. Eh? Jeez, I hope that doesn't tear. But at the end of the day, we can really reduce that risk if we're smart about it. And that bicep example is almost epidemic. I don't know if you see a lot of that, but I see it in, in, in variety of sports. I'm not just saying bodybuilding because it's, there's not enough impact there. But in sports where there's a little bit more um, you know, dynamic risk, shall we say, if you've got a slightly shortened muscle, you're gone. What do you think about strength training for MMA? Because okay, I'm, trying to I'm trying to recall if we've seen injuries like that, like a bicep tear in MMA. Sincere, can you think of any? Uh, I was actually, At while Ian was saying, I was actually, I remember when I'm trying to remember which high level I got in the UFC, that was one of the reasons why he could not fight in like this really major event, fight that was coming up because he had a torn bicep. And I was really trying to, I was racking my brain over here while Ian was saying that, trying to remember who it was. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up <laughs> you know, when you said MMA, but now I'm still trying to figure out, I'm still trying to remember who. So hopefully it'll come back to me by the time he ends, you know, sharing, you know. I his, think with MMA, yeah, I think with MMA strength training, they tend to avoid more of the bodybuilding type movements. Is that, that's what I was curious about, whether that's, that's been a problem there. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But while, while we're thinking about that... Well, I, I, I spent, no, please, go ahead. I, I, spent an hour, I spent an hour on the phone uh, 
in the last week or two with with the training camp of one of the you know, modern history's most recognised MMA fighters, mm. and so this discussion is pretty pertinent. And and this is what I'm seeing happening. They'll go in and out in waves. So they'll go overboard on the bodybuilding, realise its limitations, and come back out, etc. So I think we're seeing that. I think they've I think they've gone into that. They're coming out a bit of a bit. Right, but I, right. I am stunned and I'm saddened for the elite MMA fighters who fall for varying trends, which which are, are sort of C-grade bodybuilding strategies. The 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 challenge with strength training, the different sports is it's so far removed from what everyone's doing. The history of strength training in America, it comes back to two influences, bodybuilding and American football. And there is very little transfer in either of those trainings to to an athlete who changes direction or fights a longer period of time. You know, it's... There's so much limited about what's done, and I I understand the challenges of MMA, especially where they're where they're developing three disciplines. It's like a triathlete developing three specific disciplines over and above your dry lead. So you've got a challenge already. You've got a you've got an overtraining challenge because you're 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 mixing those three plus your your dry lead, your your um, physical prep. But it, it's really sad for me to see them damage their athleticism by taking on some really crappy strength training methods and. I'm not going to get specific about this because it was a confidential conversation. Sure. But it, it hurts me it, uh, to know what they've done to themselves. And it is, a, it is a tough sport to program for because of the complexities of three disciplines. Right. right. It just came to me. It was actually um, recently it's Johnny Hendricks. Um, okay. that fight he just The fight he just had with Robbie Lawler for the, the welterweight belt back in uh, March, you know, everybody thought that he hurt, he hurt his elbow. You know, but it wasn't his elbow. He actually tore a bicep. And, in fact, he had that injury going into the fight, but he went ahead and fought anyway. And huh. so now, now he's got to get surgery. And then that's like four weeks out of rest, four weeks of rehab after that. And then they're already saying that, you know, then he can hopefully get back to training two months later. So they're already thinking about him training already. But, dude, just like tore a bicep. You're already thinking about getting him back into the, you know, getting back in training again. You know, it's kind of fast forward past the whole rehab and everything else. So and I think that's what happens. That's one of the downfalls of, sports like this, high-level athletes being in sports like MMA, and especially when you're a champion, they're kind of already like, okay, let's just patch him up, throw a Band-Aid on him, get him fixed up, and hopefully get him right back in as soon as possible so he can defend his title. You know, or, you know, you look at someone like Anderson Silva, it's like a month later, I saw this dude already on crutches. You know, after he shattered his leg, he's on crutches. Then a month later, he's in the gym, and he's, he's punching and kicking slightly, you know, not much. He's kind of going really, really slow, but he's trying to hear him get back into the ring and it's like, why isn't no one trying to, like, slow him down? Like, dude, calm down. It's okay. Let your body heal, especially after years too and many, years too of Too many of people around him make money off of him. Yeah, that's <laughs> It's true. probably that's one so of the main true. reasons. They're like, let's get this guy back in the ring so we can keep those paychecks coming in. Right. That's the other problem. It, just, it goes back to the, the well, lack all, of integrity. This, and This occurs in all sports. Yes, it does. Well, this occurs right. in all sports. And this is, I'm going to say, to help him with this, you're unlikely to heal yourself in the same environment and making the same decisions that got you into the trouble in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood is they'll have a repeat injury. It's either going to be the same side or it's going to be the other side because they're compensating. So unless a person, I'm just talking about competitive athletes now, I'm talking, unless a person totally changes their psychology and their training to reverse the reasons why the injury occurred in the first place, they usually reoccur. 
Because it, it, an injury is a message from the body, and the message was there a long, long time ago. You just ignored it. And when we cut the body, when we do surgery, we are simply addressing the symptom. We are not addressing the cause. And this is also true of a number of uh, physical therapy modalities. If the causes aren't identified, then the solutions aren't found, and the training of the competitive career spirals south from there. So understanding what was caused in the first place, and most training, uh, most injuries in, in sport, including contact sports, were created from the way they trained. So the solution is not to get stronger and do these things that typical therapists and strength coaches advise. It's usually to change the way you were training, and that's not done enough. And do you think the mistake, like right now, I've noticed some people are listening to this, and of course, it, we've been speaking about high-level athletes, but even high importance is also to just the common everyday Jane and Joe out there when they go into the gym and or they're training with a personal trainer and also for those personal trainers training them. Because again, they, the mistake is they think like, okay, yeah, well, these guys are high-level athletes. They train like this all the time, and of course, they're going to get injured. And But how important is this same approach and change in psychological mindset how important is that for the everyday person that's going out there and training in? Well, I, I, tell, I tell them this. The things they're doing are no different. The reason why the athlete finds them out faster is the athlete moves faster, so that the, the movement is more dynamic, the loading is slightly higher, and they train more often. But the same challenges are being developed in the body of the general training person. It just takes them longer to learn about it. And the downside about that is by the time they do learn about it, they're older, so they've got less natural healing power anyway, and they're more ingrained in their habits. So that's the only difference. The same animal is growing in them. You know, the, the same downside is growing in them. The only reason that they don't get the feedback is fast the athletes. The athletes just get the feedback faster. They fall apart faster. But the same problem is growing. So everything we're talking about has absolute application to general population training. Because I can tell you this, whatever you're doing, you can do it better. Whatever you're doing is creating, probably creating more of a problem than it's, than it's solving a, a problem. And... I understand that what I'm saying is pretty out there, but I'm telling you what, in the years to come, when everybody knows what I'm talking about, they'll look back in an agreement. I, I, I'm scared. Listen, if nothing, get a good book from, a, from, a, from some, you know, I don't mean to promote my own books, but if you take some of the philosophies that I've introduced to the marketplace and I've brought some pretty significant ones to the marketplace, like lines of movement, if you understand those concepts and you apply them, you're going to be more educated than your trainer, generally speaking. And I encourage you to do that. See, I don't just leave my uh, taxation to my accountant. I actually learn enough about to say, this is what I want. I don't know how to do it, but I tell them this is what I want in general. And the average person should educate themselves so that they can help their personal trainer be better. Because I can tell you what, the majority of them um, aren't real good. Yeah, it, it pays to really be an informed consumer. It's one of the reasons, like, exactly. one, of the, one of the programs I have is um, the Weight Management 101 course. And what it does, it really helps take a lot of the confusion out because there's so much information out there. And like you said, there, there are some of these people out here, they're not that good at what they do, but they're spitting out information as if they're like, you know, some professor at Harvard or something like that. And even that can be questionable at times. <laughs> you know, even they can. So, and, and what it does is help them be more of an informed consumer than make them make better decisions on who they choose to work with. Just like we were talking about, coaches need to be very picky about who they work with. It should be the same way as a consumer. You should be very choosy about who you work with and really understand, you know, okay, well, how did this guy get those credentials? 
does this guy really know what he's talking about? Or is he, you know, just like the guys, you know, the people that approach Mike at the party, like, oh, my God, you know your stuff. Well, how do you know? So my thing is, if they kind of go out there, my thing is, I heard him like, you know, come, having this conversation at a party. And I'm like, oh, okay, what was that thing? What was that you were just saying again? And I'm taking some notes. I want to go home and start doing some research on my own. I actually see if this smaller dude actually knows anything about hormones. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and I just go ahead and give him all the credibility, and I just met him like two drinks ago. <laughs> you're, whipping out your I- you're whipping out your iPad. Everyone's got their recording devices out there. It's like, all right. We're <laughs> do tell, Mahler. Do tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look this stuff up when we get home. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one one thing about you, Ian, is that one thing one of the, some of the articles I really remember about you back in the day are your focus on unilateral training, just addressing imbalances, and I always thought that was really important mm-hmm. stuff. So looking at is, is why is the left arm way weaker than the right arm for overhead pressing? You know, why is one legged squat on one side way stronger than the other side? Because a lot of people just ignore those things. They just say, well, I don't know why that is. I'm just going to stick to the compound lifts. So, so Ian, how, how important is, why should people care about unilateral training and addressing imbalances? That's something you emphasize so much that I don't see emphasized that much anymore, but just to reiterate the importance of that. And, and I, it's, a, it's a great point, Mike, and I think it's worth talking about. Um, before I address it, I want to say that after I did introduce that, I did see the world over over respond. And I, I brought the saying to the market that, the, that we tend as humans to overact in the short term and underact in the long term. So... Shortly after I raised the importance of unilateral training, uh, it, it, went, it went a little bit too far. And then, as you said, it might have come back again from there. But this right. is the challenge. This is the challenge. Unless we had a force platform under each of our legs when we're doing a bilateral movement, we really don't know whether we're loading 51% on one side and 49% on the other. And that applies right. to bench press. It applies to any bilateral movement. Now, you, you might say, well, so what? This is what happens. And this is what I've concluded from my experience. The minute we, we don't load evenly, we increase the wear and tear on the joint side that's being loaded substantially. Hmm. I'm not talking about a small thing. I'm talking about a big thing. And it magnifies over time. So the challenge we've got, and it's a battle we face throughout our life because we never get, we're going to be in perfect balance. We're going, right. to, shift, we're going to shift our, our dominant side from left to right, and that's normal. The, the, the challenge of life is simply balance and it applies in all aspects. But if we don't address it and we have that same dominant or um, unbalanced running for years and years and years, you are going to wear out a joint. And that, for me, is the number one reason why you need to be aware of what's going on. And there's some real telltale signs, and I'll give you a few. If you're benching or squatting, the bar on the low side, the bar that side that's down, indicates you're loading more to that side. Now, you typically see that uh, in the concentric phase in the bench, and particularly, you might see it more in the knee phase in the squat. But the bottom line, it'll come out. Now, over and above that, we add to it. For example, when I analyze most people, their bar placement on the back in a squat is not in the middle. It's not rocking science, and I don't blame them because you can't see where the bar is. Right, the hand, right. The hand, the hand grip on the bench piece is not even. Their body position on the bench piece is not even. So our body position and our grip on the bar further complicates this imbalance issue. And when we set up these trends, we add to this imbalance. So if we didn't have one before, we're going to get one. And it might be so much as when you look at someone benching, you might see one foot up, is up the heel, is higher than the other side. It is pretty simple to read. And each one of us needs feedback from a training partner or a coach. And I'm not even talking about understanding further complexities. I'm just talking about the simple observations that you can get feedback on from each other. So I, I, I'm a pretty big fan, and that's why 
you know, well in the late 80s and the early 90s, I developed this whole range of, of unilateral exercises and I gave them some names like the single leg stiff-legged deadlift, the Bentley single leg deadlift. I, I, I basically created the unilateral variation for everything in, in, in the hip and quad dominant, which are the terms that I developed in my lines of movement concept. And that it's really smart stuff, provided it's kept in context. So I think it's a big player, but it does need to be kept in context. And, and one of the things I did actually see is an over-application. In fact, I saw people write books about the stuff who you had no idea what they're doing, but they write a whole book about unilateral movements. The functional movement trend just about right. killed, just about killed, you know, it was just about to put a knife through the whole theory. So, yeah, it is really important, and it's really simple to understand if you look, if you look for the signs. Well, what's an example of, of someone who took that too far? Uh, individually? Yeah, but you don't have to name someone, but just like an example of someone who's, who's like, oh, this unilateral stuff is great, so maybe maybe we should start doing finger exercises for each digit. Oh, yeah. To yeah, make sure, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> my, my left thumb is not as strong as my right thumb, you know? I'm just, I'm just curious, like, well, what examples you saw of people going, all right, you know, that uh, this is what I meant by this. Now, now we're taking it a little bit too far. <laughs> now, you know, now we're working on uh, exactly. straight exactly. exercises for each toe. Yeah, no. <laughs> Let me give you an example. They got to a point there where people weren't willing to do a bilateral leg movement because they said, well, athletes, when they run, they're only on, their wages on one foot at only one point in time. I mean, they totally missed the point. That's not why I did unilateral. I'm not trying to be, inverted commas, specific. I'm trying to create balance. So we went through a period of time where people were avoiding bilateral movements. Now, you know, you don't have to be a rock scientist working out that if you improve your deadlift to your squat, you're probably going to run faster. Right. Right. So if, I, if I'm throwing that out because it's not trendy and someone told me that, well, the athlete never stands on two feet at one time, which is absolute bullshit anyway, um, <laughs> and that's where it went. And the people yeah, who are writing that book, right. the right. people who are writing that book are very competent marketers, but you wouldn't give your grandmother to them to train. No, no, I remember. <laughs> I know you're talking about it. I know I know exactly. Those, those are the examples I had in mind is where you hear the – well, we, the deadlift is not safe for an athlete to do, so we just do this. It, it, it got to the point where they missed the whole point of what you brought up, which is let's let's incorporate this in an overall regimen to improve the big lifts, not as a replacement exactly. for that. So the exactly. Goal is, Mark, I want to... goal is not to do one leg deadlifts and then never do deadlifts again. You know? <laughs> exactly. We, we, we nearly had deliberate games in unilateral movements. You know, you know, you know exactly the books I'm talking about. You know exactly the authors I'm talking about. Uh, it was tragic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a problem, though, because, I mean, just just with kettlebell training, right? Because Sincere and myself are both kettlebell training guys, and and the, 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 you're never going to get better in the basics with kettlebells. And then there's supplementary exercises that, like our good friend Ken Blackburn and Sincere himself, these guys do these supplementary moves that help with the primary moves. But then what's happened is you've had people get into the kettlebell world that with the marketing focus going, well, everyone's covered that. And so they start having all these extremely outlandish moves. It's like, right, now we're going to do this move. And now we're going to do something called the gunslinger. It starts getting really ridiculous where you have these hundreds of worthless moves <laughs> where you could have just focused on the three moves that are the most beneficial. And then there's a few supplementary things, some unilateral moves, et cetera, that'll enhance the moves where you have two kettlebells at a time and that, but, but that's not enough, right? That's that, that doesn't get people excited and that doesn't allow someone to come in with a strong marketing campaign behind, at least in their mind. So now, now they, they, they take something good and then they just take it to this ridiculous terrain where it, it makes the whole thing look bad now because now, now it, 
people may see that first and go, okay, this whole thing looks stupid. When in reality, it's just that that's dumb. There's still good points to everything. Exactly. And, and I'm really impressed, Mike, that you know, you know what I'm talking about. And it does do some damage. So I feel a bit apologetic that I triggered that movement, but I, I made it real clear that I didn't, I didn't push it on after that. Yeah, I don't think you can control that. You know, I mean, you put out good information. You can't control what other people are going to are going to do with your stuff and then run with it. This, but but the natural inclination is to do that, right? You blaze a trail, and someone else is going, well, the trail's already been, he already blazed the trail. So what can I do? It's like, well, I can just take it to some ridiculous level of complexity as a way to put my stamp on it. So Ian, well, what are you what are you working on right now? Where where can people find out more information about what you have going on? You're touring around the U.S. right now. Can you give us a couple dates of workshops you have coming up, and then where people can go to find out more information about your workshops, etc.? So, Mike, have we chatted about a month ago? That, that would have been real easy. But I'm basically down to this one. But this is my philosophy now. I'm very selective of who I teach. And right. I've created a system of pre-qualification. What I found in the early days is I was giving my information to the wrong people. And even though I could take the money in the short term, it wasn't achieving my intent. And I'd rather walk over broken glass and give my money to someone who's going to damage damage the world. And that was happening. So these days, if you're generally committed to learning what I have to offer, I encourage you to look at the educational courses, like the level one initially, move on through there. By the time you get to level three, you'll spend time with me in person. We only do theory by correspondence for the first two levels, and after that, I'll teach you the art of coaching. So the opportunities there, I just make it a little bit, um, a little bit more refined as to who who gets it and how it gets it. So that's my focus is on on teaching people who are committed to to truly learning, as opposed to going around the world and kicking tires with as many different inverted commas gurus, so they can have a bad shirt. You know, I did a one-day course with Person X. That doesn't do it for me. Right. No, that's a, that's a great line of thing. I mean, you, you know exactly what you want to put out there and who you want to work with. So I, mean, I, I like to model my philosophy around what, you're, what you do as well in the sense that you, you want to work with the right people. You don't, want to, you don't want to give the information to someone who's going to make it worse. And now, and now yeah. the industry is worse as a result of you working with that person. You work with the right people exactly. who, are gonna, who are gonna represent you really well. So I, that, that's a very stand-up exactly. philosophy and, and something that people should really, should really take to heart and apply to their own businesses who, who are in our industry. So people can find out more about you at kingsports.net. Definitely check out his website. Everything you need to know about Ian, his products, his services, everything is on there. Ian, thanks a lot for coming on, and sorry for the technical glitches. <laughs> Normally, it's not this bad, but we really appreciate your patience and coming on the show. Mike, I appreciate the opportunity. I trust it's been of value to your listeners. Uh, tech issues, I, I deal on Skype internationally every day, so there's no surprises there. The bottom line is we got to chat, and we got to connect, and I, I, really, I really value your straightness, your honesty, and your integrity bringing to the market, and I and, and encourage people to continue supporting your program. Well, thank you very much, right. and we'll yeah we'll make sure to get this show to you when it's available, so you can share it with whomever you want to. Again, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Fantastic. Okay, again, folks, that's Ian King, one of the best strength coaches out there. I, I love his straight shooter approach. Probably more of a straight shooter approach than really anyone I've heard, because right. he's not holding back at all. You know, I mean, <laughs> once we got on once we got on a few topics, you could feel like his intensity oh, yeah. level go way up. He's like, all right, let me tell you something about this. And I was like, Whoa, okay, he's got some strong views. Because you know, honestly, I was curious why 
I hadn't heard anything about him for a while. Because I remember when Peter's like, would you guys like to have Ian King? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I was like, I'm, I wonder what he's up to because I haven't seen any articles from him for, from him for a while. I haven't seen any new products. And now this kind of explains all of that is that his frustrations with the industry and and wanting to kind of go in his cave and just work on his own stuff for a while. I was going to say, yeah. He's, he's, yeah he's, and, and plus he's in the lab actually like applying and learning, you know, with his, his clients. So he's not spending all his time trying to post things, post things, look at me, look at me, look at me. He's right. looking at them and making them better. So he doesn't even have time to do all that. He's not a posted bitch. You're not going to see pictures of him in his speedo every day. <laughs> he's not. Cry- he's not trying to create a reality TV channel with his. Oh, I doubt he even has a Facebook page. <laughs> we should find out. You know. You, notice. Notice you, you didn't hear him say, "Well, folks, make sure to sign up for my Facebook page and follow me on Twitter." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel kind of embarrassed even being on Facebook and Twitter after talking to him. I was like, man, maybe I should shut down both. <laughs> I, I thought what he said about I thought what he said about marketing was really interesting because, I mean, I I, I do feel like you have to learn marketing and know all that stuff, but I th- I think people take it too far where all of a sudden ninety percent of their knowledge is marketing and then ten percent is they're actually training knowledge, they're actually professional knowledge, and that that's the problem I feel now is that it's flip flop where people realize, man, I can make a shitload of money and I not have to put in the time to even become a great coach. I can just act like one. And, uh, yeah, we we may have to get a translator for him. It wasn't quite as bad as Peter Rouse, but we we may have to have some sometime. We may have to have, like, uh, transcribe this one. With with the exception of Tyrone Bell, it seems like everyone from New Zealand and Australia, Skype gives them this massive, like, time delay when they get ready to speak. Oh, my God. It's it's hilarious, man. man. That time delay is hilarious. I know. I mean, can't everyone. It's just like Tyrone is the only one, but, hell, he trains with gladiators, so Skype knew better. (laughs) (laughs) When you would ask him a question, it went dead silent. You're like, oh, boy, should I say something? And then once I realized what was going on, I was like, okay, just be quiet. He'll come in. Then it was like a five-second delay. You know what, Mike? That's a great point. I was like, I'm not don't know if he's silent because he thinks you're an idiot or what. <laughs> like, man, I don't even know what to say. That was such a stupid I'm, question. <laughs> even though there were times I heard in the background, like when we were saying certain things, I heard Ian actually clapping. Yeah, <laughs> I actually heard some applause. That was, was pretty hilarious. I was like, huh. <laughs> no, that, was so, cool. yeah. that was cool. All right, All right folks. So now, we're going to wrap up this, this, this hot mess of a Skype-infested show today, <laughs> and we're going to try this again. Because, <laughs> okay, today, Skype, you win. We're going to bow down today, but we're going to come back stronger. So have your yep. fun while you can. All right, so make sure you hop over to both our websites. Hop over to newwarriortraining.com. Type in the coupon code LLA, and you'll get 30% off of my physical and digital download of my DVD, as well as 30% off of my weight management one-on-one training course. And also, if you hop over to Mike's site, MikeMarler.com, what do you get, man? You get some of the best information ever, the best videos, the best DVD. <laughs> now, now, that's internet. That's fitness marketing, baby, right there. Oh, man. No, no. Just use that coupon code LLA. You get 10% off any of my nutrition supplements, my best-selling testosterone booster, my recovery oil, help you sleep better at night, and my Restorezyme, which is a systemic enzyme formula to eat up inflammation, help with an overactive immune system. I was just reading an article the other day about how taking systemic enzymes even helps with people with Hashimoto's, which is a, you know an autoimmune thyroid disorder. So I thought that was really interesting. But it makes sense because it helps good modulate. In this household. Very good in this yeah. household. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my wife, you know, she has that. She has Hashimoto's as well. And, you know, that's one of the things I told her. I was like, you, you want to start popping these bad boys right here. And, you know, and, and basically, you know, we got 
a couple bottles for her, and she started feeling a lot better with that, man. Just, again, you know, it, it helps, you know, when you're also changing your diet and your lifestyle. But one more thing to really help out with that, because sometimes, you know, the exercise and the diet is not enough. Yeah, so, exactly. Why it's exactly. a great product, man. You know, and any autoimmune disorder basically means that the immune system is ta- is attacking healthy tissue. You know, it's what happened to me when my when I got a really bad sunburn when I was like 28, 27. What happened is my usually when you get a really bad sunburn, your immune system is going to help heal the skin, and then you get back to normal. And what happened with me is that it's had an overreaction to a just one part of my face. So that's what destroyed the pigmentation there. So that's what happens when you have an aggressive immune response. So with it, with something like Hashimoto's, the immune system is now attacking healthy tissues. So what you want to do is modulate the immune system. And what systemic enzymes do is they lower inflammation so that the immune system doesn't have to be as aggressive. So it lowers the, it lowers the reason for an aggressive immune response. And by modulating, by lowering the inflammation, inflammation, so now the immune system is modulated. So anyway, I'll actually, I'll actually send you the article, sincere, if you want to share it, and then we'll, yeah. maybe, maybe we can attach it to the show notes too, since we just mentioned it here. And also with that coupon code, you get 10% off any of my videos, T-shirts, basically anything that's sold on my website. And finally, folks, don't forget we're doing an incredible course in Vegas in September. Me, Steve Cotter, Ken Blackburn, Sincere Hogan, two days, September 2021. We have 28 people signed up for the course. Our limit is 40. We haven't even put out ad copy or anything. We've just been promoting through the show. So 28 full paying customers. But I say that because we're not taking payment plans. You, know, you can't put $100 down and then the rest later. No, 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 no. I'm busy. And this is the <laughs> lowest price we have. So you have to pay the whole shebang. 800 bucks. It's never going to be cheaper than this. Once we get to May 1st, it goes to 1200 Period. So don't email me on May 5th saying, oh, I, I didn't know, Mike. I just got the message. It's like, yeah, we've only been talking about it on the podcast for the last eight episodes. And I only sent you two email reminders. No, 12 spots left. So get on that. Get signed up for the course. Email either Sincere or myself. Say you want the link to sign up for the course, and we'll get you in. You got some things to take care of? Make sure it happens, and we'll see you guys on the next show. Take care, everybody. <laughs>